Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, again, Diane, we're chasing ghosts. We're chasing the supernatural, I guess, in Kansas City. And who knew, like, this was like a, I don't want to say like a spiritualism headquarters of the 1800s or whatever it is, but some weird stuff happened here really before Kansas City was put on the map as a a big metropolis like it is today, huh? Yeah, it sounds like it. I, I, I had no idea that there were so many spirits afloat in Kansas City proper especially that believed in or people that believed in some things that we would call like ghost hunting essentially today, uh, which is the religion or whatnot of belief in spiritualism, which is crazy, really early in our history, really. It's nuts. And and it's crazy because it seems like this town is haunted, I guess. I mean, you're, you're traipsing around cemeteries, finding graves that are marked with weird, weird things, talking about being <laughs> murdered and all this kind of stuff. Like you really yeah. are digging and finding the, the, really the supernatural out there. I, you know, I try to do my best. I like to tell the stories that haven't been told or haven't been told the correct way. And, and the way that I kind of ran across this one and it, it prefaces into a prior story we've done, but I kind of went on this Union Cemetery tour at one point and there, at Union Cemetery, there are marked graves and, and you can go and they're one through, I can't remember, 40 or something. And it's a walking tour that you can just pick up a map and, and go check out. And somewhere in the 30s, if you will, on top of the hill is this one stone of a guy I'd never heard of. And I'm like, this can't be real. And it, it, it's real. It says Frank Barnum murdered in yes. capital letters. <laughs> And then it says October 6, 1876, murdered at Brownsville, Missouri, aged 44 years. And then in quotes, it says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I'm like, oh, shit, I got to look into this one. I mean, right. come on. Like, like, did he did? Did they find out who killed him? Why would you put that on someone's headstone? Like, what is happening? So I had to look into it. So that's well, why this whole thing drummed up <laughs> Let, let's get the frank barnum though who who is frank barnum and and, and what is his significance in kansas city because i i look at it as a guy who did, did a couple of things around town and then got murdered and has a cool headstone yeah well you would think right so frank barnum it didn't do much because he wasn't here very long <laughs> he got he got whacked so he's gone yeah. but um what's interesting about frank barnum is he he was born in new york in syracuse in new york and he essentially moves to the Kansas City area after he had uh, he kind of he was in South America for a while. Very interesting and also kind of creepy, you know, not really sure what was going on in his life. 
So he's born in 1832 in New York, and he spends some time in South America. He's fluent in Spanish, um, and he ends up in the newspaper business. And I feel like that never works out well. <laughs> that and hotel keeping doesn't right. work Not out well. Right. Not in Kansas City in the 1800s, <laughs> it sure City. didn't. I guess. I mean, we got some that survived. But in any case, he became a newspaper man in Raleigh, North Carolina in 1869. And he buys up this old newspaper that gets revived. It was a big thing pre-Civil War called The Live Giraffe. That's a great name for a newspaper, right? The Live Giraffe. I mean, instead of calling it like the Star of the Times or the Sun or something like that, give yourself something that stands out. Wait, come in. She wasn't a live giraffe today. Like, what a page turner, that yeah. giraffe. <laughs> I mean, like, what? So anyway, so he, he, whatever. So the Live Giraffe, and it did have a giraffe cartoon on the front. Of course it did. Of course. Um, yeah. And apparently it was, you know, it was kind of a spicy newspaper in Raleigh, North Carolina. It, um, but he kind of got into some political battles with some people, which is never good when you're an editor of a newspaper. So he gets in trouble with this guy from the local railroad. And the uh, guy writes a scathing opinion about Frank Barnum and how he trashed his railroad. And Frank Barnum's like, I'm out. So he paid, he do, he's, he's deuces out. Apparently is supposed to go to um, Atlanta, Georgia, but he doesn't. He decides to head to Kansas City. So he, he, and he doesn't hide his past, to be clear. Comes to Kansas City and he's like, hey, I was a newspaper man in you know, Raleigh. And he actually was a proprietor also of a hotel there. So he had a little kind of a, you know, a, a jack of all trades, if you will. Mm-hmm. So he meets a, a nice lady, a, a widow, named martha and martha is where the story really that i mean we got to back up to martha for a minute because she is i i already know you have an opinion of martha yes we'll i do our, we'll let our listeners decide what you're she's a woman of the night i mean this woman <laughs> was married not. like 18 times no she wasn't you're, he's exaggerating so martha poor martha just got a bad rap because of her beliefs so martha simmons is is born in new york in 1833 her family, when she's really young, moves to Ohio and they're pretty prominent, you know, grew up with, you know, education and everything like that. She was an eloquent writer. That's what also makes this story really, really unique is that normally I don't get to hear from the dead. Okay. And I don't mean like <laughs> drumming up spirits. Right, I was just saying, are you doing a seance there in your house? Like, what do we got going on here? Ouija boards. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I'm, on the, I'm on the riverfront doing the Ouija board. No, what I mean by that is um, hear from them in letter form. So what's really interesting about these two people, Martha and Frank, is that both of them were very eloquent writers and shared their writing essentially with the with the Kansas City newspapers. So there's a lot of firsthand accounts from them themselves, which is not something I obviously see very often. So Martha is uh, she has two older twin brothers, Anson and Edson. I no clue. And she ends up marrying this guy named James Welch in 1852. And he seems to be very well off as well. By 1860, they moved to San Francisco. Which so is big back then. I mean, there's nothing out time. there, right? Yeah. Well, and it was, it was growing. It was certainly bigger than Kansas City, to be clear. It was, it was certainly growing. Um, and San Francisco would have been, you know, I mean, that was before Los Angeles. I mean, San Francisco was the place to be. So, right. so San Francisco, and, and they immediately are in high society. So James and her um, and and Martha are living there. They they are doing very well. Her husband's involved in the liquor business, grocery stores, real estate, a soda manufacturer. So they're doing quite well. 
Um, and actually, interesting enough, their roommate, they had a roommate, and I'm sure it was a nice flat, to be clear, but they had a roommate. And, and I looked into them because I like to be thorough, as you know, sure. in my research. And I want to know, are they related to these people? Who are these people? Well, this guy named Ezekiel Howe lived with them in 1860. And I looked into him and I was like, oh, man, Apple don't far, fall far with these people. So Ezekiel ended up leaving his wife to go to like Mexico and, and ends up missing. They think that he um, got murdered on his way to Mexico to prospect or whatever. Oh, wow. Turns out, turns out, no, he just left his wife and kid behind and then ends up in Texas, gets married again. He did this in like five cities. Oh, so this guy's like got different identities all over the country. Wait, no, he never changed his name, though. Never. He, but he was also never changed his name. Uh-huh. just just kept choosing cities. I mean, he was all over the map. And I'm just thinking like, and he was high society too. And, and it, it, I think it also reminds, I bring that up because it reminds us that people, the communication at this time, you know, the newspapers only printed so much. And then right. it's not like newspapers besides Telegram were printing stories throughout the masses where E.B. Howe was suspicious. I mean, how many E.B. Howes are in the world? So, I mean, he got away with it until much later. I mean, it was after his death that two wi- two widows came forward to claim his pension. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is perfect. Yeah. Is, so sounds anyway. a lot like Martha, who's claiming pensions from Martha. like 18 different husbands out I there. Know. She didn't have 18. Anyway, so Martha and, and uh, her husband end up having a daughter named Emma in 1862 in California. And then they decide, for whatever the reason, probably because of the railroads, they're moving to Kansas City by 1868. Kansas City is not very big at this point, as you know. Right. So he buys up a bunch of real estate for cheap in like the heart of Kansas City. And they live at 515 Wyandotte. So he starts buying up businesses. They're doing well, but they start making the newspapers pretty quickly, which is not normal for a new couple. Mm-hmm. And I was like, was it because they're loaded? No, no. It's because they had a very interesting belief system they brought with them the idea of spiritualism. And that likely is something they picked up in San Francisco. It would be great to live in a world today, though, Diane, where we're having people make the newspaper because of their spiritual beliefs instead of some (laughs) of the nonsense that is out there. But that's crazy. That was the news back then. Oh, so-and-so Johnson moved the town and they are spiritualists. Beware of them. Yeah. Like they, they, they conjure the dead. That's what, so essentially spiritualism is very misunderstood. And I think I'm so confused in some belief systems of it, but it's really a Victorian era thing that, that comes to Kansas city um, with these people really. Um, And it would have been just, you know, the idea of the seance of course, and then believing people could speak to the dead and getting answers from the dead. Um, It wasn't like it's in addition to religion. It's not a religion in and of itself. So Mm -hmm. they were Christians, but you know, whatever. So, yeah, so they start making the newspapers like they're like conjuring spirits over there at Fifth and Wyandotte. <laughs> like, so essentially, it, they can't they can't stay out of the headlines a little bit here. So 18 months after they moved to Kansas City. So that's not very long. Right. Um, he is traveling. I hate this. They're traveling back from a funeral. <laughs> I mean, Probably. it sounds so old school, right? <laughs> oh, well, we got to get yeah, hitch up I the wagons. I yeah. know. And it's just like they're traveling from a funeral. I'm like, of course they were. Mm-hmm. Of course it's a funeral. And it was probably Union Cemetery. So they're traveling from a funeral in January. So it's cold outside, whatever. And the horses get spooked and the buggy turns over and they both get severely injured. And I mean, I don't think the daughter was with them, but James ends up breaking his leg above the ankle and ends up having surgery, which I don't know what that looked like. This is in, you know, this is 1871. We're talking. Somebody's (laughs) pouring whiskey on an open wound, telling you to suck on a bullet, you know, bite the bullet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, who knows what was actually this surgery looked like, 
but apparently he, he, he did pretty well with this surgery. Um, but he did get an ulcer <laughs> might've gotten a little infected, Yeah. but they got that under control. So he was doing pretty well. And like three weeks later, January 31st, 1871, sitting, sitting at the table, talking to his family, super cheerful. And when all of a sudden he suddenly extended his hands upward, gave a scream and fell back dead. Just like that. 45 years old. No and reason for that. Well, probably some no kind of after effects from the surgery and the ulcer Heart and the, attack, you know, not cleaning know. the wound. Yeah. And I, I've never, I wasn't able to find photos of these people. So I, I don't, you know, I, was it, were they healthy? I'm sure they were fine, but whatever. So admit, uh, that's pretty shocking. So, the, so she wasn't expecting that. So she's in, you know, just tears. I mean, she's young and now she's a widow and immediately, I mean, he isn't even buried in the ground and they're already talking about the spiritualism of these people and her conjuring spirits to try to bring her husband back or something in the newspaper, mm-hmm. which ignited some problems. So one person wrote into the paper who was a friend of hers, who was also a spiritualist, wrote and said, the private religion of a bereaved family should not be an excuse for curious eyes and gossiping tongues. Leave him alone. Leave him yeah. alone. So... He gets buried at Union Cemetery. Which I don't disagree with. I mean, no, I it really should. Somebody's grieving yeah. or, any, or anybody's Leave beliefs, alone. right? Leave him alone, yeah. yeah. Not I, bothering I you. Not bothering. But, you know, maybe news was real skimmy, you know, skimpy back in 1871 in January. Right. Like, they were looking for a story. Well, I mean, and then today, though, we got a lot of people that worry about things that don't involve them either, too. So maybe it's just mm-hmm. a, you know, a sign of humanity where we always kind of butt our noses into places where it really doesn't matter or affect you. True. And Kansas City had more than one newspaper at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, there was the Republican and the Democratic run newspapers. And then there were these sideline newspapers, if you will. And the, the newspaper that was really causing some headaches was the Journal of Commerce. Um, and when I, I will tell you this, back in these days, they didn't they didn't put their name on, you know, who wrote what. It's just somebody wrote it. <laughs> There's no journalist listed. Um, and some papers are more accurate than others. Right. The Journal of Commerce is definitely the sensational paper at the time. So this would be the one. That, you know, I'm not saying they're the National Enquirer. But right. They certainly were digging for stories. So anyway, so this is sad. She's a widow. She she buries her husband, and that she a, a beautiful white marker, you know, at Union Cemetery, and it gets engraved for her husband, and she goes sad away. Right. You'd think she'd leave Kansas City, but she stuck around. Mm -hmm. So I guess she wasn't scared of people. So anyway, she stays in Kansas City and she meets Frank Barnum, who comes to town. And he is now operating a newspaper in Kansas City, trying to resurrect one that had been in operation and uh, had bought the equipment and stuff like that. So he's back in the newspaper business. Um, And that's probably why they're written about a lot too, is because they would write about each other. Write about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So he, he resurrects the evening news newspaper in 1871. They get married October 5th, 1873. And it was written about, you know, in the paper, like, we wish the couple happiness and all of that. And then, you know, things just didn't go well. <laughs> right. So, in 1874, this is cool. This is kind of cool because there's pictures of it. You can look at it. I wrote about this on my blog, but you can see the photos. In 1874, um, they take a property that was owned by James Welch, her first husband, and it had been the St. Nicholas Hotel. And there weren't that many hotels in Kansas City at the time. And it was owned by James Welch at 402 Main. So pretty hard of Kansas City. And they went into business with Charles Hopkins. Does that name sound familiar, Bob? Yeah, it does. Didn't we talk about him like a month or two ago? 
month ago. We sure yeah. did. So Charles, so so Charles Hopkins is the business partner of Frank Barnum's in this hotel. And Charles Hopkins' nephew is Sands Hopkins, who got himself into a little bit of trouble in yeah. Kansas City. So if right. you haven't listened to that episode, you should listen to it. It's crazy. And actually, Sands and Charles lived at this new hotel for a while. So that's kind of a... Now you can see how I link stories together and how gotcha. I find all this yeah. stuff. All right. So anyway, so Charles Hopkins goes into business with them. And the hotel reopens in August 1875. There's gas in every room, water on every floor. What does that mean? There's oh, gas yes, in every room. What, 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 right. Somebody's farting? I mean, like, what do we Lighting. got going on here? Oh, Lighting. wow. Yeah. That's, that's big for the time zone to have a light. Gas yeah. lighting. Well, yeah, because it, all you do is turn it on and off. You don't yeah. have gas. You don't have to light anything. So, right. so uh, gas lighting and water on every floor. Like, uh, what a luxury. Yeah. Um, and I love it. Beds, the life of which have never been seen. I'm and like, that, that was that crazy. Mean? Yeah, that's like the best bed you will ever experience. Like, this is a luxury pad, right? Maybe it's like the Weston Crown Center beds. Could be. It's super fluffy. Yeah. Maybe. So, and then he, so he adopts Emma. So I guess she was done with her first husband. Like, we're done. And in 44 years old, he's just not in the best of health. So even right after the hotel opens, he's got this great reputation going in Kansas City. His wife is living the life. He's got this, you know, cute little stepdaughter. Things are just great. He's just, his health isn't doing really, you know, just isn't good. Mm -hmm. And so he starts going to the Turkish baths. <laughs> yeah, because that's going to cure everything. I don't know how many times I looked at that when you're going to a bath for your like it was really weird of what people thought and did, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day, hanging out at the Turkish bath is not the place I would go if I wanted to get well. You would think not, but um, some people didn't have indoor plumbing. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people. We're talking 1876. So an indoor bathroom, like we talked about Sour Castle, that having that indoor bathroom inside the home in 1873 was like the first one in Wyandotte County. So like you know, I mean, yeah. so the Turkish bath, it wasn't people went to the bathhouses to get clean. Um, it wasn't for health, but the Turkish bath, this would have been a doctor on site, you know, trying to prescribe certain things and remedies of certain waters from different areas that you're supposed to, you know, steam baths and stuff right. like that, whatever. Um, what's, you know, really interesting, again, is that this was published in the newspaper, like the guy took a bath and it's in the paper. That's right. Like, you know, that's normal. It's like what, you know, Patrick Mahomes goes to the store and people are writing about he bought a new TV today, you know, oh, seriously. Well, yeah, no kidding. So he actually ends up in the newspapers because he takes a bath and he passes out and almost drowns. He's 44. Like yeah. what causes that? So obviously health isn't good. So they came in and rescued him before he drowned and it made the paper. He even wrote into the newspaper to tell them that he was OK. And he said, his only regret. He said, I only regret that I did not follow my wife's advice and take the bath regularly. Like maybe he would have felt better if he would have taken the bath more. So he was trying to defend the business essentially. So that didn't work. So nine days later, he's like, I'm going to go to the healing waters. <laughs> we talked about healing waters before. Uh, I'm going to go to the healing waters of Brownsville, Missouri, which was known as the Excelsior Springs or it's not Excelsior, excuse me, Sweet Springs. Sweet Springs. About Excelsior yes. Springs. But this is Sweet Springs, which is the town of Springs, Sweet Springs today sure. on I-70. That's what this is called now. It was called Brownsville at the time. So he goes to Sweet Springs. He's going to leave his wife and his daughter behind. And he writes letters back and forth to his wife. Many of them published in the paper. Of course. Weird. So anyway, he ends up having this crazy dream when he's at the hotel. And he writes his wife and he says that, 
he thinks he's being overpowered by a couple of brutish demons and they're choking and beating him. And he's, he's just, he thinks he, even when he's awake, he feels like they're tormenting him. Like, this is crazy. This yeah. is this guy. And then he says that he was visited by this one spirit, a woman. And he said that he recognized her as a lady named Maria that he knew from South America. That's nuts. And yeah. So he recognizes this woman. This is, he's awake now, by the way. So he woke up and he's trying to like get his, his ground about him. He's not feeling well. And he's writing his wife, telling him the story. I see Maria and Maria is dressed in all black. And in her right hand, she's holding a cross. And in her left hand, she's got a card photograph of him and her and some other people in South America. Mm-hmm. And then she throws the card on the floor and he looks down at the card and there's blood coming off of his face. I'm sorry, it's not funny, but like, what? Well, it's funny now, you know. But like, uh, I mean, yeah. So then he says, he says that this is a terrible thing and he's very nervous. And he says that, you know, if I'm taking this as a token, possibly as a forerunner or something of that kind, perhaps it may be like, I'm not sure what's going on. And Martha, of course, is the spiritualist. He's mm-hmm. not. He's just a regular dude. She's the one who believes in all this stuff. So she's like, come home. This isn't good. Yeah, you got to get out of this place, man. Run! (laughs) This isn't good. You're not having these dreams at home. Come home, right? And his health was getting better. He had gained a lot of weight. I guess he was thin at that point. So she's like, come home. And he's like, I'm going to give it a couple more days. So on October 6th, this is sad. It's she. He sends his last letter on their third anniversary. Yeah. And by the way, he doesn't say happy anniversary. It's again, showing people like, maybe he forgot. He's just a typical guy. I don't Mm -hmm. know. So... Anyway, he says he's feeling better and he's going to be returning to Kansas City in a couple of days. And he he keeps stressing to her because she's written back to him, like, come home. And he stressed to her at the end of the letter. It says, don't worry about me. I will be all right in a day or two. A good kiss, kiss for you and Emma and my undying love for you both. I am forever your loving Frank. And then he drops the letter in the mail, walks down the street disappears and is murdered murdered so then there's a telegram sent to charles hopkins his partner so they had the uh, they are not going to send it to the wife obviously she'd freak out send it to we'll have charles tell him right tell her about the death Mm -hmm. so charles hopkins receives a a telegram that says we found frank barnum's body floating in a pond one and a half miles from town come and you know come and tell us what you want us to do wait what so anyway, the, this became this big, huge deal. I'm, I mean, it's, it's complicated. And this, here's the gist of what I figured out. Because, I mean, there's a lot sensational journalism. So it was to the point they had a coroner's inquest. The chief of police from Kansas City gets involved. The governor of Missouri got involved. Yeah. That's how serious this was. Like, this guy was really well known. So chief of police, Kansas City, goes to Sp- Sweet Springs. And he's, he's looking at the body. He's looking at the coroner's inquest, all of this. He had nine cuts on the right side of his head caused by a blunt object scratches on his face. His eardrum had ruptured. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A stake in the mud nearby they thought was probably used. And then this is a direct quote from the, from the chief of police and quote, an old hatchet found in the pond was used to hack and mutilate the body after death. Unbelievable. Like, why is this guy a target though? Is, is it because it doesn't of the, make any sense. yeah, right. That's the part wrong place, he, wrong time could be, you know, could be, but this is what's so weird. I mean, of course, you know, everybody loves these, you know, these unsolved crimes and, 
you know, and you can imagine what they would have had. They didn't have fingerprints back then. So, right. I mean, this is, this is one of the, or fingerprinting technology. Um, this is one of these things that you look at this and I am trying to make sense right and left of what's actually happening because so much incorrect information was published. Um, and then on top of it, of course, Martha's being harassed, which, you know, that went over well with Martha. So right. it was, it was really hard to, to really dig into what happened. They found his coat in a ditch nearby. They found a towel wrapped around his neck. He must have had facial hair because they talked about the facial hair being like entwined into this towel. The towel was knotted in the back and they like they couldn't even get it undone. Like he had been hanged. But they think they think the towel was used to drag the body to the pond. Right. Right. And then they drained the pond and they found his gun, which <laughs> I love it. Found his gun. No big deal. But like, I think. I think most people just walked around with guns back then, you know? Oh, yeah, sure. So, they did. sure. Yeah. So his pistol was in the in the pond and his jewelry. Like he must have worn a lot of jewelry. Why did he try to shoot the person who was trying to kill him? Well, maybe, but he got hit on the side of his head. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, knocked him out. Yeah. So, right. so, and they, and, and they, the only thing they found is that he was robbed of his watch and $12. So all this other stuff that was worth money was there. So it was almost looks like it was staged. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, looked like to look like a robbery, but wasn't. So then my, the newspaper, the Journal of Commerce, immediately predicts and says that, that Frank Bartom had predicted his death because they had the letters that were published. Because Martha, I don't know why, what Martha was thinking. The letters were published. I think she was trying to, you know, I don't know, maybe vindicate his, the fact that he was sane. I don't know what those letters make him look sane. But in any case, they predicted, she, they say he predicted his own death and that because of his spiritualism, it looks like he committed suicide. That's what the Journal of Karmas wrote. Like, uh, it's clearly not a suicide, though. You can't kill no. yourself by doing what they said were the, you know, the injuries to him. There's just no possible way. There's no way. I, I just think he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It just happened to go out to right. mail that letter. And there's that guy who thought maybe he had some money on him or maybe yeah. he was a target because he was staying at these springs or whatever it was and thought, I'm going to get the next guy that comes out, regardless of who it is, and get myself $12 in a pocket watch and call it a Tuesday. It could be. And there was like a prostitute in town that the same day um, mishandled a gun and they, well, she committed suicide and mm-hmm. shot herself in the head. And they thought maybe she did it from guilt that Frank was at the poorhouse or something. Then they're like, that doesn't make any sense. It, essentially, Frank took a walk every morning is what I understand. And the proprietor of the hotel went to check and see if he was in his room and all of his stuff was there like he wasn't leaving, you know, like he was right. just going out for his walk. And I mean, I think, it, I think you're probably right. I think it's just, it, it was happenstance. There right. was not, I don't think Frank Barnum was targeted. They, there was no vendetta against him. He didn't, I mean, minus the guy and, and, you know, the railroad guy that was so long before. And why would you hunt him down? You could have found him easier and way sooner. Yeah. So, so it, so when the journal of commerce publishes this horrible thing, Martha ain't having it. Mm-hmm. She retaliates. And she writes this entire, I mean, it's a long vendetta. And in it, she says that to say that he committed suicide was just a low blow. Look at the evidence, you know, right. like anybody can see that it clearly wasn't suicide. Yeah. But then listen to how she writes this. And you can imagine this is days after she's found out how he died. She says, for no such reason could convince any reasoning mind that a man could chop his head open on the back in nine places, knock his senses out with a blow on the side of the head tie a heavy towel over his throat to produce strangulation so tight that he would not, that it could not be untied. Like, okay, Martha, got it. 
you know, she's like not having it. Well, then, you know, she's not having it because then she takes, she takes Frank Barnum's body. She buries him at the same location plot of her first husband, puts his name on one side of the, of the, of the headstone. So you have Welch on one side, Frank Barnum just on the other side, and then carves murdered into the headstone. Right. I'm going to get you. So, well, she wants everybody to know exactly the, the truth, I think, in all of yeah. this. And, you know, the, the, the more we've talked through this and the more I keep thinking back to that headstone of murdered and then vengeance is mine, I will repay, is almost like we're going to tell the truth of this story. We're not going to let you have the ability to think that he killed himself. And for mm-hmm. anybody who thinks that he did kill himself and crosses us, we're going to get even with you, right? I think so. And I also think that we have to look at... So who'd they get even with? I don't know. But listen to this. So that horrible newspaper, yeah. <laughs> like a year later, it's like a year after he's died. Martha's still living in town. She sticks around. And she's living the life. She's got money. So that's not a problem. And a year later, they, the newspaper prints that she contacted a medium and she spoke to Frank and Frank told her, I'm with my killer and he feels terrible about what he did. Stop looking for me. Oh my. Whether that's true or not, I will say that a spiritualist, that whole vendetta part, if, if you were a spiritualist and you believe that, she certainly would have tried to a seance or two to try to get her husband back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she didn't, by 1884, this is kind of a cool little twist of fate here. In 1884, she marries the, uh, the former mayor of Kansas City, Kansas, named R.W. Hilliker. Okay. And she's married to him from 1884 to 1899. She dies. She suffered from cancer four years. She dies. No mention of Frank in her obituary. Mention her first husband, mm-hmm. mention of her daughter, no mention of Frank. And then a year after her death, he married, remarries. Who would he remarry? Not the not the daughter. She's already married to somebody else. She He ends up marrying Martha's niece, who's named after Martha. So he marries Martha Simmons, the second. The second time, <laughs> yeah. And it's unbelievable. He, yeah. She's 35. He's 70. Yeah. And they live together for three years, and then he dies, you know, of old age, 73. And then he, for some reason, chooses to be buried, or, or Martha Jr., chooses to bury him next to the other two. So they're all buried together. All buried Martha, together. Well, I mean, all you know, husbands. you got to go out all together, right? You got to be with the ones you love. So, well, but that's, a, but to, to be clear, R.W. Holster had like seven kids from a previous marriage and he loved his first wife. Why isn't he buried with her? Who knows? Maybe he didn't have a choice. He was just stuck in the ground. Didn't have any choice. This <laughs> is where you're going, sir. We're putting here. So to put a bow on all of this, yeah. we're still looking to see who Frank Barnum is going to get vengeance against, right? I mean, here we are almost 150-ish years later. Are we still waiting? Are we still waiting to see who vengeance is going to get and who he's going to repay? Cue the Unsolved Mysteries music. I mean, it looks like I think that his mystery will remain in Kansas City perpetuity every time somebody walks by his grave at Union Cemetery and takes a second look and says, what does this mean? Murdered. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.